Hello and welcome to GP Works, the podcast for and about general practice from the Irish College of General Practitioners. I'm Aileen O'Mara and in this episode I'm talking to Dr Suzanne Kelly, the new Assistant Medical Director of the ICGP. Suzanne, welcome to GP Works. Thank you for having me. We're here in the ICGP uh, in Lincoln Place and those listening very carefully on good headphones will hear the sound of a boiler in the background. You'll know which room we're in, but we won't talk about that anymore. Um, introduce yourself, Suzanne. Tell the listeners who you are. I'm Suzanne Kelly. I am a GP in County Cork in Ballincollig and I was just the national lead for diabetes within ICGP and have begun my role as deputy medical director in the last two months. So Ballincollig, that is not a Ballincollig accent though, isn't it? No, it's not. I am from Dublin, so I grew up in Castlenock and I trained in UCD and then the Matter Hospital. And I then fell in love with a man who was based in Cork. <laughs> Tell me about the practice in Ballincollig. I was away in Boston with my husband. He was training in a fellowship for two years and he was appointed in Cork University Hospital. So as we were coming to Cork, I applied for a job on the Medical Independent with a GP in Ballincollig. I started there in 2011 with Dr. Joe Hartnett and I have never left. So I became a partner really a year later and had my own GMS list. And since then, Dr. Hartners has moved on and I have two female co-partners now in the business. So it's a fully female practice, isn't it? It was until very recently. So we have a very nice uh, colleague, Dr. Stephen Tobin, who has started doing some morning sessions with us. So he is very much blessed amongst the women at the moment. (laughs) Your father was a GP, is that right? My father and my mother actually are both GPs. So my dad is a, well, I, I hate to say was, but he did recently retire. He was a GP in Fairview since the early 1970s um, and in practice with Ronan Cormican, Frank Broderick, um, Fiona McGlynn. So he was there for many years. He had to be hustled out of the place eventually. My mum uh, was also a GP. She worked in DCU in Student Health Services. Uh, she passed away in 2020. Did that influence your decision to do general practice? Uh, Most definitely. Um, My dad always and still absolutely loves medicine. So he had a great passion for medicine and always a great interest. And then he was just incredibly kind to people. He was there through uh, lots of people's trials. And we would often have people calling to our door with sick children. And I was also impressed how calm he was and how he could really reassure people and help them in in a really immediate way. So... There was no doubt that I always, since I was very young, wanted to be a doctor and then later on in my career training decided to become a GP. And that didn't put you off the idea that people were actually calling to the door, kind of cutting in maybe a bit on family time? No, not really, because I just thought what an incredible skill to have that uh, you you could help people at their moment of need and, and remain calm when everybody else is panicking. I remember he was dropping me into town once when I was in college and we were crossing near the Hapenny Bridge and there was a person lying in the middle of the road and had been hit by a car. And he was wearing a really nice suit because he was going out to dinner and uh, he took out his pure white handkerchief. And when everyone else was flapping around and uh, panicking, he was holding the handkerchief to the lady's injury and just managing the entire situation. And then we got back into the car to continue our journey. He didn't even mention it. You know, he was, I just thought, like, what, what an incredible skill set to have. How useful that is, and how you can make a real tangible difference to people's lives. 
As you say, you're a GP in Cork and you're in a practice there in Ballancolic, which is kind of on the suburbs of Cork. Would that be right? Pardon my ignorance of Cork. No, that's no problem. Ballancolic is a really big suburb now and it's just west of the city and it's quite self-contained. I sometimes tell people from Dublin it's a bit like swords. <laughs> so as an analogy for dubs who don't know the geography of Cork. And it's a really nice suburbs, lots of nice places to go for lunch. There's a real town feel to it, which is great. And, you know, you can live your entire life there if you so choose. But the great thing about Cork is you're never far from the city or the airport and traffic just isn't as big a deal. So it's it's a fantastic way of life. And what is it about general practice that you particularly like? I think like most GPs, I just love the and that you're part of people's story um, that I often say to medical students who sit with me it, it's quite disconcerting for them because when a patient comes in it's like we're picking up the story halfway through they don't get to see the entirety of the story and that we really build on our knowledge of patients the knowledge of their families and it gives you a real perception of when something doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right to you or the patient and it's a really hard skill to teach and then you're there for all the good times uh, on my last maternity leave I came back my second patient into me he booked in because he just wanted to show me the video of his daughter getting married and it brought tears to my eyes that he felt I was important enough to share you know that he wanted to share that with me and that really livens up a difficult day because you know medicine is increasingly complex and challenging so to lighten the day with human stories of marriages and babies being born is, is just a lovely part of the job. As well as being a general practitioner, you're also a specialist. I know you've been the clinical lead for diabetes. What drew you to to that role? So I always liked endocrinology. And in fact, when I qualified as a doctor, I did pursue a career in internal medicine. And I trained in internal medicine in the matter. And I went abroad. And I always loved endocrinology, I suppose, as a subspecialty of internal medicine. So when I switched to general practice and then started working in Cork, I always had an interest in sort of developing a register and making sure we were doing all the right things for our patients who have diabetes. Because I felt sometimes in general practice, people come in and they might come in with a sore back because they've been gardening. And they're like, oh no, I can see you have diabetes. We haven't had a checkup. I know you're getting your eyes checked. I felt it was very ad hoc. So um, I set up a register in a clinic, myself and our practice nurse, fairly low key in the beginning and it just allowed us to see people properly and then cycle of care and chronic disease management came along and it was just the disease I suppose I was most interested in in the 500 or so diseases that a GP will see per year. I became involved with the local diabetes and general practice group. I did a diploma. You you know it rolled and rolled. I liked the education and then when the opportunity came up to apply for the job as a national lead like a lot of female doctors, I thought, well, I, I won't get that job, <laughs> but I'll try anyway, because it was COVID times, wasn't much to do except update the CV. And I was absolutely shocked <laughs> when they gave me the job. But I really, really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. It was a great experience for two years. What did you enjoy most about it? Well, you know, in general practice, you have your own team. So we have the clinical and non-clinical staff. And as I said, I have kind of a small, fairly female practice and we get on really well. But working as the diabetes lead, I had two new teams. So I had the National Clinical Programme team uh, and that was, they're a fantastic group of people. And then I also had the ICGP team, the other clinical leads and other people who are working here. And so it was just widening that sort of work social circle and other people's experiences and expertise. I just found it really refreshing at this kind of midpoint in my career to be involved in it. The other thing about diabetes is it is one of the 
It's one of the areas for the Chronic Disease Management Programme. What's been the impact of CDM and diabetes care in Ireland so far, do you think? So, as I was saying, in our practice, we established our own small register for patients with diabetes. But we were doing that work kind of pro bono, so really in our own time in order to do it properly. But we could see that there were so many chronic diseases where patients were either on very long waiting lists or had a routine appointment cancelled in the hospital and were a little bit at sea as to where they were with their heart failure or diabetes or asthma. So chronic disease management has completely transformed that care. I think that general practice really showed its value during COVID. We always knew it was there, but it was never acknowledged. But the wider health service can see the value we bring to incremental care, seeing people in small regularly over many years. So what CDM has allowed us to do is really to invest time and resources into this sort of slow burn care for patients. So lots of time with the practice nurse and really revising and reviewing all of the simple things in medicine that can make such a huge difference. So spending time with people to make sure their blood pressure control is well done. And we know that if we did nothing else, only manage blood pressure properly, we would save a lot of lives. But so often previously that was thrown in the mix with the patient who was coming in, as I said, with back pain or an injury or a mental health crisis. So there was never a specific time to devote to that. So I have a really strongly held belief, as do my colleagues, that this two yearly visits uh, to control things like blood pressure, smoking, vaccinations, foot checks and diabetes will have a long lasting positive impact on patients' health. It's also allowed us to resource our practice nurses time, which is very valuable, and our time to be doing really good quality medicine. So I think it's going to make a huge difference in the medium to long term on patients attending hospital outpatient clinics that they might not need and preventing patients from needing to attend emergency departments out of hours, uh, which would be fantastic for the whole of the health service. And the numbers are showing that already, aren't they? I mean, the the latest report has phenomenal figures in it. Yes. I mean, we've showed that patients who attend the CDM programme begin to slowly but surely lose weight, that they definitely uh, attempt to quit smoking, that they consume less alcohol, their vaccine uptake is improved. And these are really, really great public health measures. And it wasn't just general practice that was interested in CDM, but it was really public health who were also driving this because they see the value of the G- the patient's own GP delivering good quality public health information as being a real driver for behavioural change. So we know that patients where their own GPs tells them, you know, you really should think about quitting smoking is more powerful than seeing an ad on the side of a bus, although that has a role as well. So we are all all the thousands of us delivering these messages every single day to these patients is making a difference. And we can see this in the reports that are being published. And the practice nurses have a big role in it too, don't they? I cannot speak more highly of practice nurses. My, The two practice nurses in my own practice, Fiona and Amy, are just critical members of our team because practice nurses operate in a totally different way to GPs. They don't leave any stone unturned. They do the job thoroughly and properly and they do not get sidetracked uh, during the consultation as many doctors can do. Um, So I find that the the work that the practice nurses do is extremely high quality and it's done properly and it's completed. So I don't think general practice can operate as well as it can without the input of good practice nurses. 
So the lessons then from the success of the chronic disease management programme so far really I think are that a structured programme works, putting resources in and then having a team available to, uh, to deliver it. Exactly, because the demand on the health service is never ending and infinite. And if GPs or doctors or nurses make a a diary available to patients, that time will be immediately taken up by lots of issues that may not actually positively impact people's health. So offering reassurance about things, you know, five days a week doesn't actually improve people's health. We do know that offering a CDM program, so structuring this care twice a year, will improve people's health in an appreciable way. So although patients might feel that their doctor is less available to them in the short term, their overall health care is actually improved. And it's kind of a good news story that we're not hearing. I mean, that's <laughs> as a former journalist myself, I know the, the way it happens, the dramatic negative stories get all the headlines. You don't hear the good news much about the health service, do you? Well, I mean, I often said in presentations that when I was in uh, secondary school, I used to love Eeyore, you know, and there were people racing around with trolleys and there was blood everywhere and there was gunshot victims. And I always thought that that was what being a doctor was about. And it was really there was a lot of cognitive dissonance there because my own father was coming home from his surgery and his shoes were unsullied by blood and he had a lot of paperwork under his arm. So where I thought I was going to be dealing with gunshot victims, I don't know. But it's it takes a long time to learn as a doctor that that's actually where you save lives is not with gunshot victims, God love them, but actually with helping people to stop smoking. That may take five or six visits with you to keep gently, you know, gently asking that question. And you sometimes think I don't see the lives that I save. But I was speaking with my brother, who's a GP, uh, Peter Kelly. He was telling me about a a patient who had been very reluctant to take blood pressure medication because he was quite young and had only come in for episodic care and they had a phone call then from a hospital to say that he had had a stroke and devastating for everybody obviously mostly for the poor patient and he and I were just discussing that we don't see all the strokes we save I'm sure it's in the data somewhere Uh, and those good news stories about fewer strokes they're just not as exciting as Eeyore and that's why I'm sure as Aileen you'll know it's a harder sell for the media (laughs) So now, uh, Suzanne, you're now the Assistant Medical Director. What does that mean? Well, it's a new role, uh, working with the Medical Director, that's Dr. Dear McQuinlan, as you will know. So his job or that role has really expanded over the last number of years and is just too much work for one person to to achieve. So I suppose I'm there to do some of that work with him. So it is completely different to the diabetes role. This has gone from disease-specific and working with the HSE to looking at all aspects of education for GPs and, you know, how to improve the education experience for all the GPs in the country. So working with things like the IT group, working with education governance, they're the first two groups I've joined. And then there can be individual queries from GPs or even members of the public about the education that we offer And it's always challenging because, as Paul Ryan told me, we see five to six hundred diseases per year. I must say that about 50 times a year now. But it's really challenging for GPs to remain up to date in all of those areas of medicine whilst they are so busy and to have an education offering that GPs can really utilise around their busy hours And acknowledging that if you do have some time off, you might like to spend that time with your family or, you know, engaging in a hobby. So it's trying to offer lots of different ways we can support GPs in trying to provide really good quality care, 
where the goalposts keep changing and to assist them with new programs as they come on board, like CDM was a big change. And it happened in the middle of COVID while we were all learning about COVID and then COVID vaccinations. So GPs have shown themselves always to be really, really adaptable and flexible around change and very quick to adopt new practices where that serves the patients and the practice well. So it's always looking at that and trying to predict what challenges are coming down the line. And there's some really significant things coming down the line. And the media is another area, Aileen, as you're helping us all with, where we want to make sure that the public have a, a really positive perception of general practice. So for years, we rode the coattails of patients just having a good GP and having a good experience. But lots and lots has changed um, with an ever expanding workload and particularly around expanding access to general practice where the government decides to give out um, doctor visit cards, which is really outside of our control. And that can change our workload. And GPs and the ICGP, I think, does play a role in terms of, of, you know, public health knowledge or knowledge of health. For example, you know, Dr. Scott Walken has been out talking about RSV and explaining about RSV and explaining and maybe calming parents of children. And there is that role, too, I think, for an assistant medical director. Wouldn't you agree? There is, because we're in the era of misinformation, aren't we? And there's so much misinformation that even the most ethical social media company cannot stay on top of what is out there. And that's where people are getting their information. So it's really important that we have a consistent voice that's calm and that's reassuring, but that's also evidence-based and promoting good health care. And I think Scott has been fantastic and Neil O'Connor and Mary Favier during COVID were, were, were fantastic spokespeople for um, the Irish College and for GPs in general. And that's what we need to be. We need to be in the media. We need to be the voice that people can turn to when they have questions about health. And as I said, the goalposts keep changing. And that's why we need to stay up to date and we need to have a simple message that we have, you know, that people can hear on any platform. Women in general practice and women in general practice leadership. This is a leadership role that you've taken on. How can we encourage more women GPs to take on leadership roles, do you think? Well, that's that's always challenging. And it's, I mean, I'm not a some sort of anthropologist, so I don't know why women are often very reluctant to put themselves forward for uh, leadership or even just even visible roles. It, it, it Women need a lot more encouragement to apply than male candidates might. So we have to work 10 times harder to encourage women to step up, even when they have the entire skill set to hand. And even when I, as I said to you, when I applied for the diabetes role, it was through lots of encouragement by other people that I even put in an application. And again, for this role, I was encouraged to apply. And I think the single most important thing is that women and women in general practice see other women in general practice in leadership roles. So by myself being visible or the other female clinical leads and because general practice is quite small, Ireland is quite small, they probably know a bit about you. So obviously lots of people would know that I'm married and I have children. And it's that sense of that it is possible that you can blend your life, that you can do some clinical work, you can do some college or leadership work or academic work and that I can still be at my child's show and sell raffle tickets which is what I have to do next week so you know that you can have that life where you're really achieving all your sort of career goals but not in a way where it takes over every other part of your life though you will have a fair bit of juggling now won't you between the ICGP and you'll continue as a GP and Ballancolic as well won't you Oh, I love my I love my job as a GP. It's fantastic, and really, I don't want to give that up. And 
that is that's my business as well I'm running a business and I have staff and I have obligations there so so I'm not giving that up anytime soon and I like love my work with the ICGP and it's different because it's often on zoom so I can do it from home and that actually makes juggling a little bit easier and I have a fantastic childminder who I cherish (laughs) very close to my heart and I often tell her that she's the reason I have a career so uh, and it has been possible and I do go I do turn up to my children's GA matches and shows and all of the stuff that I that I like to do there as well so it is possible it's the first thing you have to do is just try you just have to give things a go and I think if you try you'll find it's a lot less daunting than you thought it would be and you're actually managing fine I think the reluctance to women to even apply is probably the first barrier we need to overcome and finally Suzanne would you encourage a member of your family to become a GP it's a really interesting question uh would well, medicine is challenging, but I feel like when you're in medicine, you know all of the challenges and all of the joys. And it, I think it's tempting to tell your offspring to avoid it. But I think probably teachers, guards, lots of people would say the same to their own children. But on balance, I would tell my children that general practice is a fantastic career. And if they wanted to pursue medicine, uh, I certainly wouldn't discourage them from pursuing general practice as their special interest. Thank you, Dr. Suzanne Kelly, for joining me on this episode of GP Works. Remember, you can listen to lots more episodes on the channel and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Aileen O'Mara and thanks for listening.